Assignment, starring M.L. Elric as Steve Mitchell. Yeah, danger is my assignment. I get sent to a lot of places I can't even pronounce. They all spell the same thing, though. Trouble. But when I walk into the lane office, I don't realize this assignment's going to end up with me smashing a spy ring because a trained seal gets a bad case of the blues. Get your finger out of my face. Get your finger out of my face. Take the first shot, then if you want to Get your finger out of my face. It's gone. What are you doing? What are you doing? Come on. That is not paid for by them. That is paid for by the people of Detroit. Let me tell you something. You want to go right now? Okay? You want to go right now, Elric? Hey, kids. Thanks for joining us here on ML Elric, Soul of Detroit. I am your host, uh, the aforementioned ML Elric. Investigative reporter at Fox 2 News and your your pal for the next 58 minutes or so with my my partner, my wingman, my uh, down on his luck, uh, possibly highly contagious. I can't, uh, I just can't shake any disease right now. You know, know what? What am I going to have next week? All that bad living is finally caught up with you. <laughs> uh, of course, that's no, 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 no. Mark Fellhauer. Wait uh, a sec. It didn't start till I had kids. Well, is that the bad living you're talking about? Because that I might I might agree with that. Well, some good living can lead to the kids. I um I I have to say that um that my life got better when I had kids and I started to see a doctor for the first time because exactly. you don't get sick until they come home and they start to infect you with that, whatever super bugs that they're ginning up at the daycare or with their little buddies when they're putting every damn thing they can find in their mouth. But Mark and I are here. We're going to we're going to we're going to plow through this. We'll be joined a little later on on the uh, MCI sponsored um uh, brick phone by Sean Windsor of the Detroit Free Press. We may have a a visit from uh, podcast impresario Drew Lane a little later on the show. We'll see if he makes it down here. I know we're, we've got a couple topics he's very interested in. And uh, it's just great to be here as a part of the Red Shovel Network. I'm sure you know the Drew and Mike podcast where Mark spends most of his time, the flagship of our burgeoning network. There's a new BS, no BS news hour mm-hmm. with Ladoff, who broke some news about my colleague, uh, Hugh Perkins, or at least everybody's talking about that. So, uh, so what news? What which one? What what piece in particular? Well, I what, what is the buzz back at Fox? 2? I have not heard the whole thing, but people keep coming up to me and saying, "Is Hugh retiring? Is Hugh quitting?" And I said, "Well, I know he doesn't want to work forever, but but um, I, I don't know if people are reading between the lines there." So I'm going to well, have he's to... closer today than he was yesterday, and tomorrow he'll be closer than he was today. Well, it's sort of like getting older, you know. Yeah, exactly. You get older, you're dead. So you're moving yeah. on one end of the continuum. And then, of course, there's a no-filter uh, sports show with Eli Zaret, Denny McClain, and and Bob Page. So we got a lot to offer you here on the Red Shovel Network, but we appreciate you spending some of your time with us. There's a lot to talk about. I want to talk about um, something that, that has fascinated me me for years the 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 parallels between Kwame Kilpatrick and Donald Trump and it's been very much on my mind with the conclusion of the Mueller investigation which in many ways reminds me of the odyssey I went through with my old partner at the Free Press Jim Schaefer investigating the Manoogian Mansion party rumor 
But first, I got to get you caught up on the week at Fox 2, because we're going to be on TV this week talking about the podcast. So you may be listening to us because you just saw us on TV. If so, welcome to the club. But I've been helping out with daily news, which means a lot more stories than I'm used to doing. I'll spend, you know, a month or two on a story. Well, when you're a daily daily news guy, you're doing two or three stories a day. And I've, I've today, didn't you have the, was this the snake? Yeah, that was yesterday. Today I was in court with Bob Carmack, which is always kind of, kind of weird, but on Monday I come in and they want me to go out to a cabin where someone has stolen a, uh, a, uh, ancient violin and a old school muzzle loader rifle. So that was kind of weird. And then, um, you know, we investigated all we can determine by the end of the day was that Fess Parker who played both Davy Crockett and Daniel Boone, and it's not Daniel, it's Daniel Boone was not responsible. And then yesterday I got sent out to Rockwood to this really cool pet shop, the I Love My Pets shop. Super nice people. In fact, one of the women that we interviewed, she reminded me of Aubrey Plaza oh, from yeah. Parks, and, Parks Rec, and Rec, which was was very cool. But we found out that they had some surveillance camera video of a guy who went in and stuck a four and a half foot python in his pants to to abscond with it. It's a ball python. Now it may be a cock and ball python, <laughs> but he took it. Uh, its name was Noodle. So it's you know everyone likes to talk about that and joke about how you know obviously the snake penis reference, but the pants are made to put something like that in there. You're not going to put it in your shirt. Where else are you going to put it? Maybe there's less room in my pants than, than your yeah, pants. That's the end that always underweighs. Well, that's, that goes without saying. But yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, why was that's not what I want to put down stealing there. stealing it? No one knows. No, it's no. apparently not it worth, worth a very lot? much. No, and I asked if it seemed like he was there as part of a prank, but when you see how this guy operates, and you can see this story at, at fox2detroit.com, um, he just kind of is a geek. Oh, what a loser. Yeah. Why I mean, not just run out of just take it and run out? Um, well, that's the thing. He sticks in his pants and then he wanders around Casually, for a while. Yeah. yeah, he's not even like, well, I better get this thing because it does have teeth. It's gotta be the that cannot be the first time he's had a serpent or some other animal in his pants. That did, can't be. If he's gonna walk around casually. Was it the he must uh, have tried it out at home? Maybe maybe this is some weird fetish that he has. Was it Derek Smalls of Spinal Tap who said that fans fetishized the bands because it looks like they had armadillos in their trousers? That's right, yeah, <laughs> maybe that's why. So maybe he's had an armadillo in a trouser. I don't know. Although armadillos could curl up, that would be very uncomfortable. Even if you're so wearing some Python. of those Duluth Trading Company uh, yeah. pants that I guess have lots of room in all the right places. But that's been a very very weird week. Let's see your penis. Do you like doing? Do you like and doing? It's the not beat? over yet. Do you like doing different stories every day, or do you like? Yeah. Spending- well, so so for the daily stories that allow us to be a little creative, I really like. But the the meat grinder, which is what I call sort of the the litany of sorrows that a lot of yeah. daily reporters in the TV news business have to cover, I don't like those very much, um, just because it kind of reminds me of how tenuous our grip on life is and how life is cheap in this city. I mean, I, 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 I feel dirty and depressed to say that 
I've seen us report on so many children who were shot by other children or by people who were mad at their mothers, their fathers, their uncles, their neighbors, or they got the wrong house. I can't even distinguish them. It's always, and, it's always amazed me when there's a mass shooting because it's so unbelievable and it's so it used to be more rare, but it was it's so wild that it really grasped the attention of everybody. Yeah, you watch the news every night. There's shootings every night. Oh, and high school shootings, I think a lot of them don't even make the news anymore. That's incredible. I mean, you've got to kill a lot of kids. And now, as Parkland, I don't want to say it fades from consciousness, it sort of it sort of becomes a little dimmer. Now some of the survivors are committing suicide. Yeah. So it's yeah, I I stories like that, uh if I if I had to cover a Parkland story or this this shitbag in yeah. New Zealand, I would be interested and excited to cover it because of the opportunity to dig into the background of the yeah. the perpetrator. And and I also find a lot of value in the the remembrances of the 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 victims. One of the best things I think the New York Times has done and one of the simplest was they committed to do at least a short obituary on everybody killed in the Trade Tower oh, wow. uh, attack of 9/11. And I read every single one of them. Uh, not because I was interested in all the people. I mean, I don't want to sound mean, but because I felt it was my obligation um, as someone who is alive to read about the lives of these people who were taken randomly and wantonly. And if you ask me, I, for no damn good reason. I have, well, clearly, but I have to believe there's more clicks and more eyeballs on the background of the perpetrator than the obits. Oh, I, I, uh, maybe I'm a bad person because collectively, I kind of want to know what makes a maniac asshole click like yeah. that when everybody else is just random. Well, and this guy lived. Um, my, my standard line is you know, the problem with murder suicides is they got the order wrong. Yeah. You know, oh, if, without a doubt. If you're going to kill somebody in yourself, kill yourself first. And if you still feel like killing the other person, then you can <laughs> do luck. it. But, uh, you know, I think. Your priorities are all wrong in, in so many ways. But, <clears throat> excuse me, I want to I want to talk a little bit about the big news before, I guess between the New Zealand shooting and, and, and between some of the, the sillier stories I did this week, and that's the Mueller report. And, and I, I just want to give you a quick quiz, Mark. I do this when I speak to groups, and I, I like to ask them who I'm talking about. So right. I'm going to describe somebody who, uh, when they became a very well-known person was sort of a new face on the political scene. They promised quick results if they were elected. They represent a racial group that felt very repressed and underappreciated and under assault. Um, they criticized their opponent for having a family member or being part of a family that had deep criminal roots or was uh, rife with law-breaking. They surrounded themselves with members of their family in their inner circle. They made them highly ranking officials and they consulted them almost exclusively. They were a political novice when they came on the political scene and they very quickly made friends and ingratiated themselves and won the support of influential and successful business leaders. While all this is happening, there were whispers that they were unfaithful to their spouse, that they were having affairs. They were very critical of top law enforcement officials, and they fired a high-ranking law enforcement official who was investigating them. This person I'm describing was a subject of a long-running federal investigation 
that started uh, shortly after they were elected. They paid a great deal of money to keep an affair secret. They were represented by lawyers who ended up getting in trouble. And they were constantly being bombarded with negative, they would say negative, uh, I would say uh, enlightening, uh, hard-hitting news stories. Fake news. Uh, they might call it fake news, but they certainly would blame the news media. Um, they would call the reporting a witch hunt, and they would say that they, are the, they were subject of an unprecedented investigation that no one had ever been scrutinized <laughs> as closely as they had been scrutinized before. And while they complained about all the media coverage and all the interest in their doings, they never once asked for a correction or pointed to something that was reported that was not truthful. And in fact, so many exposés, so many uh, revealing and possibly damaging stories came out about them that even people who did not like them became concerned that the volume, the avalanche of exposés would somehow turn them into a sympathetic figure in the public eye and, in fact, strengthen them and help lead to their reelection. And I should also mention they both had a lot of trouble with the IRS. Do you know who I'm talking about? Well, in light of Mueller, I mean, you would say Trump. I mean, a lot of those fit Trump. Some people, and depending on who I'm talking to, People think it's Trump. Well, I'm talking about Kwame Kilpatrick. Yeah. But every single one of those characteristics, every single one fits both of them. To a T. To, to a, a T, T yeah. to the R, to the U, to the M, to the P. There's a lot of similarities there. Yeah. I mean, and and so. Big difference, though. What's that? One guy was caught. One's free. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. But two years into the, the, and I guess there's another difference, because two years into the Kilpatrick administration, I don't think the uh, quite the extent of his problems were so well known. So there's a little bit of a difference there. But I was trying, and I had been trying to sell a book for some time, and publishers passed for one reason or another. And I've been thinking, you know what I need to do? I don't need to call it the Kilpatrick story. I need to call it Black Trump. Yeah, and see if sell. if publishers would go for that. Any, I think it Trump. might be less marketable now that the, uh, the Mueller reports come out and there seems to be a little bit of a pullback from the... A uh, total and self-serving lie. Oh, man, so many lies. Um, that I, I don't know that the, the appetite for Trump stuff is quite as strong. But this Mueller report, it, it's bringing me back to the many, many years that Jim Schaefer and I investigated the Nugan Mansion Party rumor. And... While I will say that um, I would not rule out Mueller finding that there was collusion or obstruction of justice, I'm not saying that he was going to find that or I think there's evidence. I would just say I didn't know enough about it to have a strong opinion. I never believed in the Manugan Mansion Party. There was one time where I thought maybe I need to reassess, but I never believed in it. But we spent far longer investigating that then Mueller spent investigating Trump, and to me, it was all worth it how, how because did, we found out so many so other many things. amazing things. Where Kilpatrick's bodyguards getting outrageous amounts of overtime, Kilpatrick having bodyguards who weren't fit for the job, Kilpatrick's bodyguards being old buddies of his with with um, some questionable conduct, uh, the bodyguard, one of them. 
um, ushering Queen Latifah around Detroit and taking her to a motorcycle club, and then all the cops <laughs> in that precinct being told, stay away from the motorcycle club because Lorenzo Jones is there with... Uh, with um, Queen Latifah, with Queen Latifah, and the guy who confirmed this st- for Jim and I was a member of the uh, the motorcycle gang, whose whose uh, motorcycle club, it's a club, club, yes, not a gang, motorcycle club, uh, whose name was Pumpkinhead. Oh, cool! So we met some interesting people, and we found a lot of really fast. I mean, the mayor's credit card uses, the uh, the girlfriends. I mean, so many things came out. Where, where did it start? Where did the rumor? come from originally like how what did you and jim hear yeah so i don't know who started it and and there's two reasons i want to know one is because i think it'd be a good story and it's one of the things that you want to find out when you start a quest you want to accomplish it and so finding out that there was no party makes you want to find out who started the rumor but the real reason i want to find out who started it is i don't ever want to piss that person off because i've never seen a rumor so virulent so it's more virulent than the bug that is racking your sweet soul as we sit here today. I don't know about that. Well, yeah. And now, it's a very nice soul. But I, but I, the thing is, there is no proof of it. And it took off. And people to this day believe it as well as yeah. they know their own name. They are convinced. It's the Mandela effect. Because uh, it's said so many times that that's what becomes yeah. the truth. I remember at Riff, we called neighbors that lived near the Manoogian Mansion. Specifically about, hey, was there a party on this date? Right. A lot of them said no, but they said, however, there were many other parties. Yes. So there was known to be a lot of parties, but the one in particular, I think that got all the attention was the strawberry, uh, Tamara Green? Tamara Green. Oh, thank God. Tamara Green, um, where she was allegedly assaulted. But you say that never happened. No evidence of that whatsoever. There's no evidence that, um, that Kwame Kilpatrick or his wife had anything to do with uh, the death of Tamara Green. Um, whether they ever crossed paths, I couldn't tell you. I never found any evidence of it. Jim and I did find one former Detroit cop who made a very convincing case that he had met with Tamara Green right after she was assaulted and that she had confided in him because he knew her from from her other uh, work uh, in on the streets of Detroit. And... Um, hmm. And that he had kept a journal. And so he had kind of, you know, we see with this Me Too, a lot of these cases are are uh, are shored up by saying, well, I told five people yeah. 10 years ago that so-and-so did this to me. And it, it gives them some credibility. So this guy, his, his, uh, his uh, street name or his call sign was Head. We went to go see Head up in the attic of his parents' house to see this journal where he had kept all these notes. And he was just... He was, God bless him, um, I'd say one of God's special people. He had somehow oh been touched by something, and uh, and he seemed to be, um, let's just say, less credible in person than he oh. was on the phone. And that's the closest we came to it. And and Charlie Ladoff, uh, my friend and former colleague at Fox 2, when he was at the Detroit News, when he was my friend and rival when I was at the Free <laughs> Press, I think pretty conclusively proved that... Um, or established through his, his, his interviews with Detroit police detectives, that the guy who shot Tamara Green was just another dope man yep. who was trying to kill the guy she was with, and he happened to kill the wrong guy, and it's just one of those things where nobody's ever going to cop to it. But there was a full-fledged state investigation. Mike Cox ran it. Uh, yes. Was, that was into the same exact thing? So so I'm glad you brought up Mike Cox, not just because it's his a, gubernatorial a funny name. run. Well, when Norman Yatuma 
and um, started saying that he had witnesses that worked at the party. So Norman Yatuma came up with two witnesses um, to the party. One of them was a woman that when Jim and I contacted her, told us that she needed to be exercised because she was possessed by demons. So we kind of discounted everything she told yeah. us. Kind of like the God guy in the attic. Yeah. So the other guy says, um, I was I was in a, a biker club and I provided security for the Manoogian Mansion party. And he said, all you guys know me because I saw you out there in your TV live trucks while I was providing security for the Manoogian Mansion what? party. It's like, you know, we probably would have noticed the yeah. first lady pistol whipping a very hot stripper on the front lawn of the mayoral mansion. So I don't think that's credible. Well, Jim and I, because this is what we, we, we do dug really deep on this guy. It turns out he's a complete geek. He wasn't in a biker club. He lived in a really pathetic little trailer in the backyard of his parents' house. And he would scavenge spare parts off broken down motorcycles on the highway and occasionally he would bring some Good equally gig. pathetic chick back to his little his little uh and this this trailer when i say it's pathetic it looked like that that trailer that fred flintstone had you know kind of a round thing with like yeah. one porthole on it except yeah. it wasn't made out of stone and he would bang skanks in this oh, thing nice. and and he had like like a ring of chicken bones around the outside because he would just eat carry out and throw it out the window. And so this is the other guy Yatuma brought for. So where's, but, he finding, where's Yatuma finding these people? Did they have any relationship to Tamara Green? No, they just, they were. They just came to him? Was he like the Avenatti of this? Yeah, I mean, I don't think he, I don't think he, um, I don't think he. Um, he didn't vet them. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he found them. I think they found him and and he he found that they had some, testimony that supported his narrative and so he used them and jim and i did a big investigation on norman yatuma later which is pretty fascinating stuff but but he was a pretty shrewd operator and he started raising questions about mike uh, cox's investigation and that really did hurt cox mm -hmm. in his bid to be a republican nominee for governor and because these allegations came out very close to the primary and cox is a great parallel for um Mueller, too, because he investigated the Manoogian Mansion Party. That was one of his charges. Found no evidence of it. Now, I think Mueller did find some evidence of wrongdoing with well, Trump, but not enough to bring charges or, you know. Well, other indictments, too. Right. But, but Cox also said, if you remember, that there was evidence of, of, of tremendous amounts of overtime being paid to Kilpatrick's bodyguards, which he thought should have been dealt with administratively. And he said... The conduct of of Chief of Staff Christine Beatty in the firing of Gary Brown is something that that Detroiters should be very skeptical of her explanation of why they did it, and may very well provide the grounds for a a successful civil lawsuit. And of course, oh boy, did it ever! It did, and that lawsuit That's to go forward a couple of years did end up leading to the downfall of Kwame Kilpatrick. But like Mueller. And as you just touched on, these prosecutions in, in the Northern District of Virginia and the Southern District of New York, Mueller, and we haven't seen the full report, so we can't judge it quite yet, but Mueller did not find what he felt was strong evidence of collusion or enough evidence to bring a perjury or an obstruction of justice charge. But there were so many other things he found yeah. that he parceled off to other prosecutors in cases that are still going and may still yet be a problem for the president. 
but it's very much like our Manoogian Mansion investigation. It's very much like the Mike Cox investigation, the firing of Gary Brown and the Manoogian Mansion party rumor in that they didn't find what people thought they were going to find or what some people thought existed, but they found so many other fascinating and important and relevant things that I would say these are not a waste of time. And as we've talked about, you and I privately, and I, I heard you mentioning it on the Drew and Mike uh, podcast the other day, Mueller's investigation is going to be paid for by the money that the government takes back from Manafort for cheating on his tax and all these yeah. other things. So it actually is a net gain for the Treasury. And this is a it's this is a government that is running massive deficits. So perhaps the only thing Trump has really done to help reduce the deficit is be investigated <laughs> by Robert Mueller. Even though he didn't want to. I mean, yeah, yeah, it certainly wasn't a willful thing. But so that's that's just kind of the incredible thing. And these are the things I think about with these investigations. And and when I teach and when I talk to my kids, my students listen to me because they're going to be graded. My kids don't listen to me. But I, I tell them, do not look up words on the dictionary. If you need to spell something, I mean, do not look up words online. If you need to spell something, get a dictionary and look it up because I guarantee you on your way to find that word, you find so many other things mm that are interesting or more interesting. And it's just like, we, just we like all Wikipedia, those, Wikipedia or YouTube, YouTube yeah. you get in that rabbit hole, time slips away, but you find it very fascinating. So I'm not saying whether, whether um, Mueller's a good guy or a bad guy. I'm not saying whether Trump is a good guy or a bad guy. What I'm saying is when we take a look at this Mueller report, there's all sorts of criteria that can be used to evaluate it. And I think one of the criteria is, did he find some stuff? And he sure as hell found some stuff. I won't change my mind on anything, regardless of the facts that are set out before me. I'm dug in, and I'll never change. If you've been following us on uh, social media, you know we love you checking us out at ML Soul of Detroit on Facebook, on Twitter, our website, mlsoulofdetroit.com. We're always looking for your input. We're always looking for great topics uh, for our great debate. You can reach us at mlsoulofdetroit at gmail, or you can give us a phone call at 313-Butterfield-89070, which to you squares is 288-9070. And squares is kind of the topic of the day because I think there's a lot of squares out there who are getting all worked up about the way our coaches deal with their players. At least that's the way I feel. Um, and uh, joining us to discuss this topic is a man who's written eloquently about the big blow up between Michigan state coach Tom Izzo and one of his players, Aaron Henry. And that is Sean Windsor of the Detroit free press. And before I let Sean say a word, I have to give him high marks for his very prescient pick on the MSU Bradley game while everybody else predicted a blowout for MSU over Bradley, Sean uncharacteristically came very close to the final outcome. First of all, he picked Michigan State. That's a new thing. And he predicted a close game, 67-60. to 60. And in fact, the game was 76-75. to 75, But it was not that close. And uh, Sean, Sean nailed it. Uh, let's see if you're just as close to the truth on our great debate topic. Sean, after that big buildup, are you still there? 
Yeah, I just, uh, you know, I, I like to listen to you talk. I don't really need to talk. I'm sure you know, you and I have that in common. Point. I love listening to myself talk. <laughs> I know you do. In fact, you, you, you probably spent all day in the studio, right? Just listening to yourself, recording for who knows what. I record it, but then I play it back, so there's a pause. So yeah, I can okay. listen to myself. <laughs> okay. Well, I, don't, I don't blame you. I, I, like, I love the article you wrote about the Izzo-Henry blow-up. Uh, because it is stuff around here that we've seen before, but were you surprised nationally how much attention it got? Well, I was, and it was it was an interesting experience for me, and excuse me, and for some some of the other folks that have been around Michigan State, the beat writers in particular, or just or just folks that journalists that have been around the program for a while. And it was a little bit, um, what's the right word? It, it, this isn't a word in Mike's vocabulary, but I would say it's a little bit humbling. Or it was a little bit humbling, because when it happened, I, I didn't even watch the whole thing. I was trying to think about what I was writing and so forth. I didn't think a thing about it. I frankly had seen that in the week before in Chicago, in each game, not as much in the Michigan game, but in the first two games when, when they played poorly early against Ohio State and their opening game of the Big Ten tournament, and then even against Wisconsin where he went after Gabe Brown, um, and Foster Lawyer had to kind of hold him back. And he, he got so mad at Cassius Winston coming off the court at one point. Winston wouldn't sit next to him. And he kept saying, get down here and sit next to me. And, and Winston said no. And later on, Izzo went back at him and said, I don't even care if you play. I don't care if you go back in the game. It's up to you. And he walked away. And then Winston wow. checked him into a scores table. You know, Tillman had to kind of push him back at one point to try to make his point and finally yell. Like I, I was sitting right by the bench. I could hear all this. He was screaming at him, just listen to me, listen to me. And then, and then Izzo sort of quieted down and listened. So it's just, it, it's something that unfolds most, not maybe every game, but most games. So, so I had no idea that it was becoming a thing until my editor, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes later, it started to go viral, emailed me and then texted me and said, hey, do you want to write about this? And I said, well, write about what? Huh. Right. Well, it's and then as I realized what was going on and started to see and look um, and decided, that, you know, hey, I am a news guy, I guess, in some way. I better write about this. But that was a, um, and Mike can probably relate to this a little bit, that was, that was, and I say humbling because you like to think as a journalist you, you understand what's going on, especially when you're right there and you have a sense. I had no sense immediately wow. what a national thing that had become. It's interesting, though, because you just said something that kind of turned a light bulb on for me, because nationally a lot of people are saying, you, you can't yell at people, that's not the right way to motivate, that's not the right way to teach, uh, it really puts them down. But it, that doesn't seem to be the reason why he's yelling at them, he's yelling at them simply to get their attention so he can tell them what to do. Is that how you see well, it? For sure. Yeah, you, you know, and, it's, and I get it. It's the optics of that particular exchange, and obviously the there were a lot of things that kind of, it was a confluence, right? There's mm -hmm. a word that none of us love, but but the stage, the, the I think that Michigan State, that game kind of had had the audience, the college basketball audience to itself. You get a lot more casual viewers because of the bracket and the pool and all that. So people that maybe aren't as familiar, and frankly, the culture has changed. I wrote about this in my column a little bit. The culture is changing around uh, some of these coaches, and, and, and for the better in a lot of ways. So all of a sudden you see that exchange, especially some of the photos where it's a, it's a still, and yeah. you see that fist balled up, or you can see the rage in his eyes. For those for those that hadn't seen that before, I, I'm sure it was startling, and I'm sure some of those images were startling 
uh, after the fact in the still photos. Well, it, it was but embarrassing. Think, uh, oh, go ahead. It, it was embarrassing, and I say this as a, as a former coach who was known as a yeller. Now I yelled positive things as well as instructional things, and I never put a kid down because I just didn't think those eight-year-olds were tough enough to take the truth. <laughs> but but as a Spartan, you don't want your coach to to catch eyeballs across the country and maybe across the world for looking like he's unhinged, that he's he's totally lost it. And and it was, I think, not a great moment for Tom Izzo. It was a moment that um, that was embarrassing for him. It was embarrassing. For the program, but don't you expect it now? I mean, isn't that just kind of the way he coaches? Well, here's the crazy thing: last year, when he had this incredibly talented team, he looked like he was in a coma the whole season, and they didn't do anything. So now he's practically, you know, ripping off some kid's head, and they're world beaters. And that kid has the game of Sean. Did didn't Henry go off right after that? I mean, didn't he really deliver in a way that uh, that that people had not? expected him because he is just a freshman. Yeah, there are a couple things here. One, he didn't go off immediately. I think he made a play within a minute or two, but he he did some really good things several minutes later. Maybe Sounds like Sean's honeymoon. Later, down, down off in stretch. a minute or two. <laughs> After she yelled at him. Yeah, you know. But uh, he, <laughs> last year's team, he was absolutely like that. He just, after the stuff happened with Nasser. And he and D'Antonio got linked. He 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 didn't know what to say. He was changed. he he was in a fog, and his team was in a fog, and he would tell you that. And so maybe he didn't see it after that. But the beginning part of last year was like that. And he's been like that every other year. And I wrote about this in the column too. And, and and you you say it's embarrassing and it's not great moment for him. Those things are true. What's also true is that you used to look at that not that long ago, four or five years ago, certainly ten fifteen years ago, and chuckle or find it compelling or interesting, or even sort of like it. Yeah. Because there were a lot more coaches that did it for one, but, right, he hasn't changed. Sean, you our, had a, you view had a, is, our view of that has changed. There was a really good comparison, because you compared him, I believe, to Gene Cady or even Coach K, and you said he is not like Bobby Knight, and that made me think immediately, Bobby Knight had a couple players transfer because of the way he treated He choked him. Well, even before that, he had yeah. transfers because of the way he treated him. Has anybody ever transferred out of Michigan State or left early because of the he's, treatment? He's had a couple guys, but it was playing time. Like uh, Kenny Kaminsky left. Mm-hmm. Um, he comes to mind. Garrick Sherman was the one that maybe didn't love the program, but most of those guys know what they're getting into. And I use Bobby Knight, and I don't know if you guys have seen this. There's a 30 for 30, 30, 30 special. Oh, yeah. ESPN. Yep. And the thing, that's really, the, the thing that struck me in that documentary is there's audio. It's not video. It's audio of him talking to his team in the locker room, and he makes it all about him. You, you're embarrassing me, right? Yeah. I, I don't want, I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, but that was the idea I was trying to get across. I'm not, you're not going to do this to me. And I always felt like, or at least down the stretch for Bobby Knight's career, he made it about him. Izzo has never done that. You can take issue with him raging like that to some degree, but he, he and, and I've heard the way, I've heard what he's saying. He's just, he's screaming, but he's saying instructive things. And maybe that's counterintuitive, and a lot of kids don't want that today, and, and I don't blame them. That's, and that's certainly not the only way to coach, that's right? That's fine, but to me it begins and ends with Henry. If he doesn't have a problem with it, why should anybody else have a problem with it? Well, that's a good point. And, and Izzo, I, I was actually working on something yesterday, and I was up in the basketball office for a while, and um, I talked to him for a while, and 
and we talked about this very. We talked a lot about what happened that day against uh, against Bradley or that afternoon. And one of the things I told him, I, I felt like he made a mistake afterwards when he compared his basketball team to any business. He even actually tried to compare it to a newspaper and said, well, don't you want to hold your people accountable and your employees accountable? And the idea of accountability okay. is fine, and that's that transfers, but the way you deliver doesn't. And even some professors at, at Michigan State have said, well, I couldn't get away with talking to my students that way. And, the, and that's true. They couldn't. And you, you're not going to talk that way in an office. I mean, maybe Mike and I would talk to each other that way. But for the most part, you can't do that. Well, there's a big difference. Um, employees it's, but get what, paid. what is it? Think about it real quick, Mark. It's a family. A uh, basketball team at the college level and, frankly, at a high school level, too. Not the, not the NBA. It's, it operates like a lot like a family. So the volatility and the, and the anger, and you can do that because you've built relationships and you're there every single day. When you're there for somebody every single day, you can lose it get mad, get angry, and then say, and then apologize and come back. And that's the dynamic of that particular basketball program. Well, that's interesting because in a family, um, family members don't get paid by other family members, just like in a college <laughs> basketball situation, the players aren't paid. You'd rarely, paid handsomely. You, you rarely see an NBA coach go off like that or a NFL Greg coach. Greg Popovich is the only one that comes. I mean, you used to see more of that, but Popovich is really the only one left that, yeah. that screams like that. Well, my, my problem with Izzo's conduct was I think it created a false impression of him and who he is because I think he is a caring guy, sure. and I think it, it made him look nuts when I don't think yeah. he is. But I, I, I also have to leave open the possibility that at that moment he was insane because if Michigan State lost to Bradley, Mr. March goes out in the first round again, and Tom Izzo, he may have reached a point where he's sitting here thinking to himself, this game is everything, and I I was embarrassed by the way he conducted himself, and I hope that he took a look at that, and he said, I'm not going to be less passionate, but maybe I'm just going to keep my arms by my side. You know what yeah, I mean? But, but, was... see, but now he's reacting to public opinion, and I'd rather him just be the coach that he is. And the team knows that, and the fans know that, and I don't have a problem with it if the players don't have a problem with it. Well, I've, well, I've done things and said that. things where people have said to me, you know, did you think about how that looks? And I've looked at it and I've said, you know what? I, my heart was in the right place, but the way I acted was, uh, it, was not, it was not the best thing. And I've learned from it. And I've taken, I've said, I'm going to be the same guy, but I'm going to make sure that I'm a little careful next time that maybe I take that pause for poise before I blow my stack. And um, I, 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 I don't Tom think there's any question this will, this will change him, at least when it's on this stage. Uh, it will change him just a little bit. Now he and he and I were talking about this again yesterday. He's not going to change fundamentally, and he's still going to get angry. But I think subconsciously he can't he can't help but change it. And liken it to a family again. And, and uh, you have kids, Mike. You, surely you've blown up at them over the years and immediately regretted it. Yeah. And immediately felt bad. Not me, but right. human fathers have. But no, I, yeah, I take right, your okay. point. And, <laughs> and we all know that, that Izzo is so vulnerable to public opinion that I'm sure yeah. that he's sitting here saying, ooh, that people don't like me as much, and that hurts him. But Sean uh, Windsor, Detroit Free Press, read his work at Freep.com. Pick up a paper for Pete's sake. Give him a buck. It's more than worth it. He's in D.C. for the NCAA tournament. Sean, can you hold on a minute and stick with us through Geek of the Week? Because we're going we're gonna to touch on uh, this week's choice, and I think you might want to weigh in on this. 
Sure, sure, especially if it's you. I like to refer to this time. whole thing from start to finish as a real Mickey Mouse operation. But that'd be an insult to Mickey Mouse. Oh, man, the geeks have inherited the earth. Did I do that? What a dork. Is him wanting to play with us again mean that he's turning into a geek? Or we're turning into cool guys? That uh, last piece of sound you heard was Bobby Knight evaluating this podcast. So, uh, hey, Bobby, 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 if you can hear me, I know it's hot where you're at. You can kiss my ass. This week's Geek of the Week, and I guess I'm going to seem a little bit of a uh, uh, contradictory here, is Nolan Finley, editorial page editor of the Detroit Free Press, for his outrageous column criticizing the very coach who I was just kind of criticizing myself, Tom Izzo. And it's not because he rightly says this is not a good look, what Izzo did, but because he drags Larry Nasser into this. And just as a side note, I will just say that every editorial writer and columnist, not the sports columnist, but Metro columnist, God, those are the easiest jobs in the world because he doesn't know Izzo. He didn't call Izzo. He didn't talk to Izzo. He saw something, he had an opinion, and he typed it up. That's the way it should be, though. That's easy, though. Why are you paying somebody to say, I read this story in the paper, I saw this on TV, and I think it's good or it's bad. Unbiased. End of story, straight to the bar. But, but Michigan State does have to answer for Larry Nasser. It's something that has hurt the university. We're dealing with it. We're trying to get it right. I don't think we're doing a good job of getting it right. I hope that we will do a better job of getting it right. But we can't bring Larry Nasser up for every silly thing that happens at Michigan State. Sean, no, are you with no, me on this? No. Yeah, I, I am, and, and it's a little tricky for me. I don't, as a rule, I don't like going after other journalists in the, in the, in the market, especially at the you know at our competitor, the Detroit News. However, it was it was too bad. I mean, the line he had in the column about I don't know Tom Izzo, or I can't remember the line exactly, but he essentially said I don't know what I'm talking about, yeah. and then proceeded to say, well, I, I but I do know what I'm talking about, and that's always a little bit tricky. But you're right. ESPN did this last year when they tried to attach Nasser to um, to D'Antonio and Izzo. But <laughs> Michigan State's not helping itself in some ways either. John Engler yeah. sits courtside at all these games. He was in Chicago. I don't know if he was courtside in, in Des Moines. He wasn't courtside, he was but there, he was though. there. But he sits there, and he, he, you know, the, the way he kind of takes up all that space, and I don't want to make a judgment on anybody's appearance. I will. Way, he takes up a lot of a lot of seats. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's the only fan you can see from space. <laughs> he's very he's easy to spot. Down. No, but it's just, it's sort of a grotesque, over-the-top kind of end of Roman times. Look, it, he looks like a robber baron from, a, you know, from the turn of the century, the, the century before. He should have a monocle and on top just, hat. <laughs> or it's, Mr. Smithers does, helping you know, him he's out. Gonna, he's going to eat little kids, and it's just the, the idea that a public university has this guy who did yeah. so much damage to the state, you know, wh- whether whether you agree with him politically or not, and then comes in and was tone deaf through all that master stuff, the fact that he's still around, that they don't have any, that they can't keep him out of that view, that's a terrible look. I think that's far worse in a lot of ways than what Izzo did. Well, the the line that you're referring to, Sean, from the Nolan Finley column is, "I've not covered Izzo and don't know him," and that's the point where you, you really go. need to say. Okay, maybe I'm out of my depth here. And and I, I am, I, hey, listen, I, I'm a proud Spartan. You want to criticize Engler. You want to criticize the way the university handled Nasser. 
I'm with you. I'm shoulder to shoulder with you. But let's keep things where they belong. We When we pull this all together, this mishmash, and it's almost like Jussie Smollett trying to say he was a victim of a racial attack. It cheapens every other legitimate attack. The, these but, are- but let, me, let me ask you this, though. If, if no one was writing for, say, a national paper or maybe somebody out of Waco, Texas, is it that far, uh, is it that hard to believe that he sees Michigan State and he thinks of Nasser, and then he sees Izzo doing that? I mean, he doesn't, so no, it's No, absolutely not. I, I did radio interviews last year when this was all going on. National, you know, for, for either national radio or radio from other states, other parts of the country. I remember one in particular from California. And, and I got that kind of question all the time. A lot of folks outside this region. I have you know, a really good friend down in Austin, Texas. When I was uh, down there for work a few, I don't back in the fall, and that was the first thing he wanted to talk about was what is going on up at Michigan State, right? Well, that, yeah. and this, this is a guy from Big Ten country, but but that, but it's been colored. The perception is absolutely. Been it might not well, be fair, but that's the but, that's, but that's the way we think of Penn State, or we did for a long time, and maybe that's the way sure. we think of Baylor. But that's why it's all the more important that local journalists who know the story, who get the nuance and the subtleties make the distinction that they're not part of this, this sort of short attention span theater where we conflate these things. And if you want to talk about Waco, Texas, this would be this Nasser column by this Izzo column by Nolan Finley would be the same as me saying, Oh yeah, Waco, Texas. We got that crazy president Bush and that David Koresh. So it must be something in the water at Waco. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's pretty weak. I mean, you can't do it. So Nolan Finley, congratulations. Put down your bourbon. You're our geek of the week. Welcome to Room 7609, which is supposed to be a celebration of new wave music. Great songs, great bands who you may have forgotten, you may have overlooked, or maybe you know their radio hit, but you don't know the deep track that is really worth getting to know. So I feel a little guilty, and I'm Irish and Catholic, so I always feel guilty about something. (laughs) Usually it's uh, touching myself, which was a song we talked about last week with Divinals. But we're going to start off on sort of a somber note to mark the passing of Ranking Roger, who, of course, was one of the geniuses behind the English beat and general public, and uh, a partner of Dave Wakeling, who was often on uh, the radio with our our mentor, our impresario, hey. Drew Lane, and, of course, with Mark Fellhauer on the Drew and Mike podcast. But, uh, but Ranking Roger, man, only, like, 56? Well, That's... they said 56. Dave is 62, I believe. And if Ranking Roger was 56, he would have been about 16 or 17 when he joined the English so Beat. Is that he's, possible? He's like a Dominican ball player. Yeah. He may be, yeah. Okay. He may be All the right. Sammy Sosa of he's post-punk ska. So he was a great Danny shortstop, Almonte. too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it. Every The more I know about Ranking Roger, the more I like him. If you don't know Ranking Roger, just Google Tears of a Clown, English Beat, YouTube, and enjoy. I I thought it was just fantastic. I was so sucked in by that version of that song. You know that version. Oh, yeah, I do. I do. 
It's it's much it's much jauntier than uh, than the original. It's quite something. But we we mourn the passing of ranking Roger, and this week's selection for Room Seven Six Zero Nine comes to us from one of our listeners, and we we hope that you're listening. We hope that you reach out to us on social media. It's ML Soul of Detroit on Twitter, Facebook, our our web is ML our, our website is mlsoulofdetroit.com. You can write to us at mlsoulofdetroit at gmail.com, and you can call us at three one three Butterfield. 89070 or 313-288-9070 for those of you who don't appreciate Elizabeth Taylor in a negligee and uh, if you don't appreciate that please stop listening because that's pretty spectacular our, our listeners suggested that we play um, Town Called Malice by Paul Weller and the jam kind of popular so we're going to go a little deeper and there's a tie-in believe it or not to ranking roger because ranking roger started general public with members of dexie's midnight runners and paul weller's partner in the style council was mick talbot who had been the keyboard player in dexie's midnight runners and so there's a lot of crossover in yeah. new wave isn't is, there is there some specials crossover too with ranking rogers you know, Ranking Roger? I don't know. I don't. I mean, I gotta believe that at least the horn players sat in on some sessions, right? I mean, how many? How many? Well, I, I shouldn't say how many English guys were that funky back in the late seventies, early. But you had Madness. You had um, you had any number of great bands out there. The the specials, you know, that were just fantastic. The man. specials are out there now, by the way. They're oh. playing in the states. I'd love to see them. And Mark and I were talking about when we were in college. I, I graduated from Michigan State in 90, but in East Lansing, there used to be a great ska band that would play primarily in basements. And the, you'd think the house was going to fall down when they were playing because everybody was <laughs> dancing and sometimes slam dancing. And uh, they were called Pickle Brown Betty. I don't know where they are now, but, man, they could really bring it down. And, Mark, who did you say was in Ann Arbor? M- Mustard Plug out of Grand Rapids. They were big at when I was in college. What was the name of that band, Plug. M.O.? Pickle Brown Betty. Pickle Brown. I'm just going to Google them. Um, it's funny how many cool things happen in basements, isn't it? Oh, yeah. 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 Like uh, podcasts. Podcasts, <laughs> podcasts uh, uncomfortable fumbling with classmates, um, uh, you know, all sorts of things like that. But, uh, but this week's Room 7609 selection is the Style Council with my ever-changing moves. Sugar 
Sounds pretty good. Sounds like our sounds like our forecast. Is Rich Luderman sneaking into room seven six oh nine? Is that him in the corner there? Oh, he's the, not allowed in room seven six oh nine. Well, if you've heard some of the stories Rich Luderman has oh, to tell, yeah. you uh, room seven six oh nine is getting a little hot. If he has some new wave cred, he's allowed in, but I'm not aware of that. Well, you know what? And Drew is working the velvet rope, so if you want to yes. get in room seven six oh nine, you you got to get through Drew Wave. I better see a skinny tie on him or something. I got my rooster on, as a matter of fact. Yeah, you do. You got a skinny tie. I'm ready to go. I just want to say my ever-changing moods is an example of Paul Weller. Okay, the jam was monster. Monster band in the UK. Nothing over here. Style Council, somehow that song actually hits Billboard and reaches number 29. It was a small hit. But over there, it was ah, Style Council versus the Jam. Oh, what a joke. Yeah, what happened to Paul Weller? It's like, uh, it's like REM fans that say, oh, yeah, once Superman came out and all that, I don't, I don't like REM anymore. And I don't really now, once like Once they had Superman. hits and Grammys, I hated them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but a lot of these songs, I think you have to watch them over time. And you see that looking back on it now, it's sort of like, uh, I always want to compare things to Beatles. The solo Beatles music in the 70s, there's some fantastic songs. Oh, yeah. But at the time, there was a lot of slagging on those guys. And I think Style Council, same thing, because Paul Weller now is playing My Ever-Changing Moods, which I don't think he played live for a decade and a half. I saw him at St. Andrews, I think it was last year, and he played several Style Council tunes. And and they're great. I first heard them... Uh, my girlfriend, when I first went to college, had an LP, which tells you it was a while ago. But it was, it's just great. You know, it's almost, it's not really like lounge music, but it, it has a very sort of happy, upbeat. Um, I think of, I think of English guys wearing uh, tan raincoats, running to get on the double decker bus, and then maybe having a, <laughs> a cocktail somewhere or, or meeting <laughs> meeting a, a demure young woman somewhere off of Piccadilly. He, I can see the video right now. He has a new album out, a new live album, live at the Royal Festive Hall. I don't know if that's different from the Royal Albert Hall. I'm sure it is. It may be a play on words. He is the mod father, so he's he, he knows a little bit about wordplay. What Mick Talbot? Do we have a Mick Talbot update? Is he on the side of an English milk carton? I guess it'd be an imperial <laughs> an imperial pint of milk or something. I, I don't I don't think the uh, the post uh, style council uh, career went as well for him. But but you know what, folks? This was this was it's our choice, but it was inspired by you guys, and we want you to give us suggestions for everything. Geek of the week, the great debate, room seven six zero nine. We want you to feel some ownership over this show 
because without you, we're nothing. So reach out to us. Let us know what you're thinking about. And last week, for those of you who forgot, go check us out on on Google Podcasts. Check us out on iTunes. Check us out on Stitcher. We're on Stitcher. Rate us unless you hate us. Last week, we talked about one of the great female-led new wave bands, Divinals. And this week, if I if I, I wanted to... I wanted to keep with our suggestion from a listener, but I wanted to do Transvision Vamp this week, and maybe we'll do them next week, or one of the other great, underappreciated, female-fronted new wave bands, because there's so many good ones out there. Oh, yeah. And so many that people forget about, and, and I find them, I go, oh, my God, that band. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and if you listen to Berlin, anybody who's seen... Um, the Vapors! Uh, what was that? Females in the vapor? No, no, okay. no. but uh, that's uh, turning Japanese. Right. I was yeah. going to say I I didn't know there's ladies in the vapors, but I know they're ladies. Ba- they're back together. Ladies too. have vapors in them. Okay, Romeo Void. Romeo Void. The monarchy's better. They slept together. Yeah, monarchy like uh, better if we slept together. And then you see the girl and you wow, go, wow, wow, Annabelle Lynn. Yeah, especially today. Ah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. She didn't age too well. I don't think. Well, she was. Oh. she was kind of huge at the time. Yeah. So Transvision Vamp, by the way, the lead singer. Wow. You see her now? Ow. Mm. <laughs> it, it turns out that being really cool and getting into every club and doing everything that somebody offers you... Can age you? Can age you yeah. real fast. Yeah. Real fast. Well, anyways, that's Room 7609. Another episode of ML Soul of Detroit is in the can. Mark Fellhauer, thanks for getting out of your sick bed yeah. to make it happen. Mr. Drew Lane, thanks for coming downstairs to make it happen, metaphorically and literally. And, uh, hey, if you haven't seen the story about the show on Fox 2, check it out at fox2detroit.com. That's where you'll find the rest of my work. Uh, You can always find Sean Windsor in the free press. Until next week, thanks for listening. Cyrus, take us out. Can you dig that? Can you dig it? Dangerous Assignment, starring M.L. Elry as Steve Mitchell, is written by Bob Reif and Adrian Jandot, with music composed and conducted by Basil Adlum, and is produced and directed by Mark Fellhauer. Be with us again next week at this time when M.L. Elry, starring as Steve Mitchell, will embark on another Dangerous Assignment. <laughs>